introduction, I've been casting some vision, calling it Welcome Home, for the end of the year and into 2017, and we're wanting to fill up the Father's House, this expression, as I mentioned, of the Father's House that we call LifePoint Church. And one of the ways that we're going to do it, or some of the ways we've been talking about, the ways we're going to fill up this house, obviously God's going to help us, He's going to give us insight and wisdom and favor and all those types of things, but I grew up in sales. My father was a salesman, which meant he was always writing contracts. My dad sold everything from cookware and vacuum cleaners to real estate. He's been a real estate broker for many, many, many years. And so we, I grew up writing contracts. And when I worked for dad some great years, uh, I would inevitably go to write up a contract and I would have forgotten to bring a pen. And so I would say, oh, I'm sorry, does somebody have a pen? And my dad would tell me without fail, I could tell you what he was going to say. He would, and I dreaded it. He would say, does a carpenter go to work without his tools? What you doing, son? You don't have a pen? I mean, aren't you in the sales business? Isn't it about writing the, and you don't even have a pen? He would give me the little lecture. Yeah, a, a, a carpenter does not go to work without his tools. Am I right, right? And so <laughs> we don't want to try to grow the church without some tools and I feel like God's given us some tools we've got our, our little invite cards our welcome home cards I hope you've gotten some of these we've prayed over them we believe God's given us favor we've had people here because of these cards it's just something you could put in somebody's hand and invite them to church pick you some up on the way out and invite somebody that's one of the tools in our toolbox we've got those super Sundays Oh, uh, the way in a manger that, that Brendan mentioned. Friends Day is March 5th. Easter, April 16th. We're kicking off life groups in February. Doing another semester. Those are always a big success. And, and we've got something else. Jason, throw, throw one of those pictures up there. We now have a LifePoint Church podcast. Go, go, go back to the first picture. The first picture, go to the first picture. Look, go to your podcast right there, the purple one, if you got an iPhone. If you're on an uh, Android, I'm not exactly sure, but go to that podcast. No offense. But go, go, go to the next one now, and, and you can search. And see, there it is. We're actually number two on this, this uh, when I did a search. Now go, go to the next one, and you can see it. There it is. We have one sermon up there right now, but we're about to load it up. That's Lizzie's sermon, actually, that's up there right now. Yeah! And so you can, you can subscribe, and, and you can leave feedback even. You can rate it and leave, leave feedback, only if it's positive. Only if it's positive. Because if you leave terrible feedback, we're just going to label you as just an ignoramus, right? Like, yeah. Uh, totally, right? That's Latin for, uh, uh, for agnostic. Did you know that? Ignoramus is Latin for agnostic. But uh, uh, get, get, get on the, the podcast because we're committed to going into the highways and byways and compelling them to come in. We, the Lord's going to fill this house up, and I'm excited about it, I'm very excited about it. Incidentally, uh, David Bernard, Dr. David Bernard, will be speaking here on January 15th. That's something to look forward to. Uh, but I, I, I mentioned, I talked about the Iditarod race, just this little review here, but it, it, that, that famous race in Alaska started as, as a cartoon. There was a cartoon based on that, uh, the Balto. 
It was the, the race of mercy. It was to get a, a life-saving serum to kids in Nome, Alaska. Now it's just a sporting event with sponsors and fancy lights and, and, and Red Bull and all this kind of stuff. It, it, uh, Oakley, it looks good. It's, it's cool. It's savvy. But it started as a race of mercy. And I don't want LifePoint to become just a cool church that, that has forgotten the mercy and the purpose that we exist. We're trying to fill this house up to get people to Jesus because people matter. Amen? People matter. It's all about Jesus, people, and mission. And so there was an old song. That's, I told you I grew up in a church that was hardcore evangelism. I mean, we had a sign on the back wall that said the flame of evangelism. And it was a neon flame that flickered, flick, 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 flick. And, and I'll never forget it as a kid. That, that was always fat. It was a diamond-shaped placard. The flame of evangelism, Winnell. And it flickered. And if there were no visitors in the house, an usher would get a black velvet bag and go put it on top of the flame of evangelism because the flame had gone out. I cut my teeth in that church. It was all about reaching the lost. So I get it honest, all right? But I think that there's a thing in the Bible called the Great Commission where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teach people. Disciple people. He wants a full house. There's a song that I grew up singing, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. And I'd like to preach the third installment, my final one, on welcome home today. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to jump into this, Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. At the end of the service, we'll pray together and then we'll have communion for our Thanksgiving service, and we will uh, conclude the service that way. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house, that's Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, everybody say a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her, the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so I want to pray over this and I want to preach a message. Welcome home. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the powerful story that we have seen unfold before us. I pray that you would drive it home to us today, God. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanksgiving is this Thursday. We all love the feeling of being with family on the holidays and gathering around the, the dinner table and, and cooking turkeys and, and smoking meat and having dressing and, and all the good food at the Thanksgiving table. Isn't it wonderful? I love it. And, and, and not only that, but at my house, there's some other things that we like to do. My dad will be there, the salesman, and my dad is a domino fiend. I'm telling you, my dad, my dad doesn't watch football. My dad doesn't like sports, but my dad will play dominoes into the wee hours of the night. My dad loves dominoes, and, and so... Me and the boys will be trying to watch a football game, and Grandpa will say, who wants to play a game of dominoes? And so it's fun. You know, we enjoy it, but, but Dad's going to be playing dominoes. We, li we like to play dominoes at my house, or back in the olden days. Anybody ever played this game? Oh, my goodness. We played hours and hours uh, of sorry also at my house, we live in the deep fried dirty south, so usually the weather will permit this, but, but we'll, we, we'll set up a badminton net, and we go crazy playing badminton. We tear up those little birdies. We have to make runs to Walmart and Academy and whatnot to get extras because we tear them up so bad. We love to play badminton at my house, and then also we like to get out there and play a little football. Of course, I need to get a a pump. This one's kind of in bad shape. But we like to play some football too. We like to have a good we like to have a good time at my house. And then like I said also, we we will watch a little football cuz we like some football. And so we we have a good time. So we like to eat, we like to have a good time. And it's all about the family. It's so much fun when the family gets together. I mean, you family cannot get along, have issues, but if you can get together for just a few hours and celebrate and be thankful, it's, it's awesome. Now, my family, we all get along, right? We don't have any family problems ever, never have. But we get along great and have a great time. It's a lot of fun. The Bible is full of family references, especially in regards to the kingdom. We see this in particular in the book of John. We see starting, just starting out in John 1, it says that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons, sons of God. 
And we see then a couple of verses later, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled is the word. God set up house or made a home, made a home among us. So sons, father, home. In John chapter 2, we see where Jesus goes into the temple and it's been turned into a den of thieves. They're merchandising and selling and reselling blemish sacrifices and, and ripping people off. And Jesus cleanses out the temple and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And he fulfilled the scripture that said the zeal for his house has eaten him up. It was his house. It was his home. So we have children, sons. We have we have father, house, home. Here, here we have it again in John 2. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. There's a family. There's a house. John 4, Jesus said the father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. The father, the father with the father's house seeks those. At the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5, Bethesda is a it means the house of mercy. The house of mercy. So you have so many references here. A merciful father. A house of mercy. And he wants it filled. And, and as we've looked in our series here, he'll fill it with the last and the least and the broken down and the torn up and the down and out and the up and out and the weary and the worn and the broken and the torn. Because as Jesus told Nicodemus, God did not send his son into this world to condemn it, but to save it, right? He's a savior. He's a savior. And I want to focus on one fact today, and that is the house of this merciful father will be filled, yes, with all kinds of folks, but they have one thing in common, and that is they are worshipers. They're worshipers. I want to unpack this. Jesus said in Luke 10, 15, he came to seek and to save the lost. But we saw last week, John 4, the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It looks to me like the lost who are found also become those who worship him in spirit and in truth. The lost become the ones in the house who express their worship and praise to the Father. Life Point is supposed to be a house that is filled with worship and filled with worshipers. In our reading, Simon's house was not a house of mercy. It was a house of judgment. Simon had invited Jesus. He had summoned Jesus into his house not to worship him, but to cross-examine him, to investigate him, to render a verdict on him. You see, Simon was special. In the times of Jesus, there were about 7 million ethnic Jews in the world at the time. And of the 7 million, there were about 6,000 who were Pharisees. And Simon was one of the 6,000. He was one of the seven million. He was a man with religious clout. He was a man who had status. Say status. status. In traveling, 
you'll find that status is everything. You live and die with status in airline travel, in hotels, in rental cars. I've done a little traveling in my life, and, and I'll never forget when I got the revelation on status. I was tra traveling with a friend of mine, Doug Kleindis, and we were in Australia. And, and Doug had traveled so much that year, he was a diamond with Delta Airlines, which is pretty high up status. And he was proud of it. He was telling me, I'm diamond status, you know. I'm like, whatever, Doug, you know. And he's like, he's got a thing on his luggage. It's Delta, and it says diamond. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's cool. But then I began to watch how Delta Airlines treated Doug. And, 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 and they would say, uh, Mr. Kleindance, uh, you can board the airline. And, and because I was traveling with them, they would say, and, and your little friend here can go with you, right? <laughs> little, little mud ball Donovan over here, no status. We'll allow him to go with you, Mr. Kleindance. Or sometimes he would have to ask, do you mind if my little friend Donovan comes with me? And so they would allow me to go on. And so I began to learn the value of status. Uh, we were in Sydney, uh, Australia, and I, I was, we were taking a flight from Sydney to L.A. And on that flight, you know, a first class or business class ticket is about $5,000 one way on that flight from Sydney to L.A., one of the longest flights in the world. And I have made that flight in the middle seat in coach like this, you know, and trying not to fall asleep and drool on somebody and hoping they don't do the same and just awkward and excuse me, it's, you know, in the middle of the night, I, I got to get out and, you know, I, it was terrible. I've had those experiences. But on this one flight from Sydney back to L.A., they pulled me out of the line. They said, Donovan uh, Hill, Mr. Hill, would you please come forward? Big line in Sydney. And I, and I stepped out. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, like, they realized I had a traffic ticket in Louisiana. Like, uh, what's like they're gonna? What's the problem? I'm scared. You know, like, what's up? You know, am I on the no flies? What have I done? I don't know. And so they they pulled me out and they said, Mister Hill, we're you're traveling with Mister Kleindis. He's diamond status, and we've upgraded him to business class. And we would you mind if we upgraded up upgraded you to business class as well? And I was like, yes, that's fine. That would be awesome. I didn't realize how awesome it was until I got, they, they let me board first. So I get on the plane. And I sit down in my giant cocoon. That's just me, nobody beside me. And, and I was like, Doug, you know, like take some pictures. So he's like snapping pictures. And, you know, I'm like, you know, doing all this stuff. They came by and they said, hey, uh, we're going we're gonna to serve a meal in flight, you know, just for you people. Uh, here's the menu. And it was like Chilean sea bass or filet mignon. And I said, well, I think I'll take the filet mignon. And I'm thinking, how good can this filet mignon be? It's on an airplane. They brought me a filet mignon, one of the best I ever had in my life. I could cut it with my fork. I just, I was like, this, I didn't know this existed. Why, where did it come from? Status. It was status, baby. I was in Africa, I was in Johannesburg, Africa, South Africa, and I was, I was we had a, a little time, a little layover, 
And because of status, I learned, I started getting me some status. So by the time I was in Africa, I had a little status. And so it was me and Doug again. We're in South Africa, and we're moseying into our lounge. Because, see, when you have status, you can go hang out at the lounge. And in the lounge, they have free food and drinks and all. Of course, you know, when you're status, you act like you could have paid for it anyway. It doesn't matter, you know, because I've got status. But, you know... Me, I'm, I'm like, free food, you know, free food, free drinks, this is awesome, free Wi-Fi, like, it's amazing. So, so we're headed into our lounge, and I bumped into some other people with status. This is what happens when you have status. I got a picture right here of what happens. Jason, if you throw it up there. I bumped into some of the most famous pastors in all the world, literally bumped into Brian and Bobby Houston as we're walking into our lounge. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, Pastor, you're, you're Pastor Brian Houston. Hello, Pastor Bobby. I'm Donovan Hill. And I said, uh, hey, little Doug, little Doug, would you mind taking a picture of me and pastors? And, and, and Doug's like, what? okay. And so he's like snapping pictures. And I was like, thank you so much, Doug. Good to meet you. And Doug's standing there like, you didn't want to introduce me? I was like, no, no, I just wanted you to take our photograph because I have status. Me and Brian and Bobby have status. Status is amazing. And Simon, the Pharisee, had status. Everywhere he went, people knew he's special. He's something else. He's one of those guys. He's diamond. He's platinum. He's, he's got gold status. And, and so... They, they, he summoned, Simon subpoenaed Jesus so he could get inside his head and find out what made him tick. Who are you? I want to find out if you're legit or not. He was trying to figure out the theology of Jesus. It was conceptual and cerebral and intellectual and religious. And in the Middle East, they, they would recline, still do to this day, around a table, and, and it's very casual. Simon doesn't recognize his need of Jesus. He's just having conversation and investigating. When all of a sudden, a woman without status, a woman who is, I mean, the furthest thing away from status, she, she somehow breaks in behind the velvet ropes and she enters into the Pharisee with Status's house. She breaks into the lounge, you know what I mean? She gets in there illegally. She comes in all of a sudden and, and as soon as she gets in the presence of Jesus, as soon as she's in his presence, she's on her knees and on her face. And she's in a position of worship and praise before Jesus. I've got a couple of points for you today. The first one is this. There is a huge difference between someone who sees Jesus as a theological concept to be figured out and someone who sees Jesus as their only hope. Amen. She wasn't trying to figure it all out. She's just like, you've got hope. I have none. I need you more than anything in this world. And she bows the knee before Jesus. 
She was one of the broken downs, one of the torn up. She was the last, the least. She has no status. And she wasn't even invited into the house of the Pharisee. But she had a standing invitation into the presence of the Lord. Because he wants his house to be filled. The Pharisee didn't have a place for her. But Jesus had a place for her. The Pharisee didn't have room at his table for her. But Jesus had room at his table for her. Because she realized and appreciated where she was. Not in the house of Simon. But in the presence of the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. She welled up with emotion. And she began to cry. And she washed his feet with her tears. Think of that. So many tears just coming down her face and dropping. And she's washing his feet with her salty tears. You know, worship is not always a cheesy grin and a, a laughing smile. Often I have found some of the deepest worship comes in humble contrition and, and recognition of brokenness and repentance and just an all-out surrender. I need you. I don't deserve to be here. I thank you so much for allowing me. I just want to pour my praise out on you. I want a fresh start, God. I need a new life. That's what worship looks like sometimes. It's not all in that in the jump, and it's not all in the dance, and I love all that, but sometimes it is just humble before the Lord, and you just wipe everybody out of your mind, and it's just you and Jesus, and you're loving on him, and he's taking care of you, and in the, in the, in the process of washing his feet, he was washing her heart. He was washing her heart, and then she, would, she took her hair, and she begins to dry and wipe off the feet of Jesus, but it didn't stop there. She breaks open an alabaster box. It was very expensive, uh, full of very expensive uh, uh, ointment, some perfume. She breaks it open and just lavishes it, just extravagantly, just pours it on Jesus' feet, just loving on him. It, it was a sacrifice. Again, worship is not always just in the movement and in the dance. But I tell you what, if you want to get to the heart of Jesus, just sacrificially give him praise and worship. I mean, it cost her something. It meant something to her. But she understood, I am in the presence of the Lord. And I don't have status. I don't deserve to be here. Simon is like, I want to check you out, Jesus. Let's talk theology. I want to know if you're legit. We know what he was thinking because when the woman began to worship, he's like, if he were a prophet, he would understand who this was and what kind of woman she was. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. And yet, Jesus is like, oh, she's pouring out her heart. The Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And sometimes those people are not the people that we think are the ones that are supposed to be at the table. 
sometimes the ones worshiping with spirit and in truth, sometimes those people are the dregs of society and the most messed up people on the planet. But I know a God who can take people that are so messed up and begin to work on them and put them back together and make them whole and strong and send them out to turn the world upside down. Give him some praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I remember right, I remember a scripture that said Paul's writing to the church at Corinth which means the church at one of the most messed up cities on the earth. We think of New Orleans. We think of Las Vegas. We think of Amsterdam. That's what Corinth was of the day. And Paul said, there were some of you, my friends, that were broken, messed up, homosexuals, sexually immoral. You were, you were murderers. You were, you were liars and thieves. And you had so many issues. But he has washed you and cleansed you and turned you into... The church at Corinth. Amen. 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 Yep. That's what worship looks like. The Father seeks those. Simon's investigative mind thought. If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't allow her near him. Jesus told a little story about forgiveness. Simon was one of 6,000 religious elites. Now, I don't know, but it's hard to find research on this, but she may have been one of another group of elites, and that would be Jewish prostitutes at the time. So he's one of 6,000. Let's just be generous and say she's one of 6,000. But Jesus is one of a kind. He's in a league of his own. And so here you have some pretty elite company, one from the good side, supposedly, one from the bad side, in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Simon failed to realize the truth of his own scripture. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, are like filthy rags. This is God's people that he's speaking of. All that is right about us is not right enough is what he's saying. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. And here is God in Simon's house. And he thinks I'm better than she is. And here is the only one who was the only hope for him and for her. He needed to be reminded. Simon needed to be reminded. My house is not good enough. My house is a messy house. I may have cleaned up my house. You ever cleaned up your house in a way for company to come over? But you're like, I sure hope they don't open the closet. I got to be honest with you. I, I don't, I, now some of y'all coming over to my house, I'm going to have to really double check it. But I'm like, I, I hope they don't look under the rug, you know, just because sometimes they're, they're, oh my goodness, they're here. And you raise that rug up and you're like, sweep, 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 sweep. Done. Boom. I, it's clean. Man, your house is looking so good. Oh, thank you so much. 
That's the way it is in our lives, is it not? Oh, man, I'm looking good. I'm looking good. Don't look too close, though. You know, like, I, don't look too close. Simon's house looked clean, but, oh, he didn't realize all his righteousnesses were his filthy rags in the presence of the king of kings. He needed to realize Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. We enter into his presence by invitation only, no matter who we are. And it is a house of mercy that we are entering into. I love the fact that when the woman goes crazy in her worship, you know what she does not hear from the lips of Jesus? What are you doing? Don't touch me. I am Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Simon, as you probably are aware of. I am the prophet spoken of in the book of Deuteronomy. I am the seed of the woman spoken of in Genesis 2. Do not touch me, woman. Don't touch me. Have nothing to do with me. You are unclean. You don't want to mess me up. He doesn't say any of that stuff to her. He doesn't say that. You know why? Because she can't change him, but he can change her, right? And you can't change God, but he can change you. Your status doesn't matter. Hallelujah. Which brings me to some great news. It's my second point. And I love to make this. I make this in many sermons. But you can worship Jesus just like you are. Spiritual, true worship is worship that emanates from a thankful heart. A heart. Offering nothing Yet offering everything. Isn't that ironic the way that works? I have nothing to bring you. So I give you everything I am and everything I'm not. I have nothing to bring so here I am. And God says that's the kind of stuff I love. I'm seeking worshipers who worship me in spirit and in truth. You don't get all cleaned up to worship Jesus. We're so afraid that church will get too messy if we get too many messed up people in here. I'm just going to tell you something. I believe that exactly what I said, you can't change him, but he can change you. He can begin to scrub and wash. My mother... I wish I had thrown a picture up there. I got to turn this organ over. It's making noise over here. It's bugging me. But I, I wish I had thrown a picture up. Some of you maybe saw on Facebook my mother's pictures of Oscar the dog. You got to understand. Caleb and Roe have this gigantic dog. What is it? Golden Doodle. It's massive. It's another word for a horse. <laughs> Fluffy, pretty horse. It's huge. My mother hates dogs my, my mother my mother now valerie used to also my, my mother 
ridiculed. I mean, gave us grief when we got Opie. And we got Opie. We got Opie because my father-in-law was on his deathbed, and one of his last wishes was, he's like, what y'all get Lizzie a dog? Yes, sir, we'll go get her a dog right now. We went and got her a dog. We've had the dog ever since. And my mom was like, this is the way it would work back in the olden days with Opie. We would, uh, you got, if, you, if you're an animal lover, you get this. If you're not, then you'll just have to deal with it. But you get a dog, Ray Jean, you are. You get a dog, you pet the dog, you love on the dog. And you go and you eat supper and you, and, and my mom was, this was my mom. Did you wash your hands? Well, I no, but Opie's, you know, Opie's clean. Oh, there's no dog that's clean. No, no, you go wash your hands. So every time you wa- touch the dog, you got to go wash your hands. Now, you might be that way. That's fine. That's how my mom was. And, and, but I've noticed, like, my mom, is, she's kind of like, she's got a thing for Opie. She likes Opie. She's real tired. And then Beatrice comes along, the other little Maltese, and, and she likes Beatrice. And, and they're sweet. You know, they follow her around. Opie likes mom to feed, her, feed him toast. So in the mornings, Opie like goes with mom to the kitchen and stands there. Mom like makes some toast and she'll make Opie some toast and give Opie some toast. And then she'll pet him, you know, and, and I, I don't I haven't said it, but I want to say, did you wash your hands, mom? You know, did you, did you, did you wash your hands? Dogs are filthy. Oh, yeah, this will be on the podcast. Shoot, I forgot about that. But <laughs> sorry, mom. I'm just kidding. I should have thrown some pictures from Facebook because Oscar comes in. Oscar comes in and mom posts pictures of, of Oscar. He's gigantic. So mom's on the couch and, and Oscar's like laying up there on her huge dog. And she's smiling and petting him. And she's like, I love Oscar. He's beautiful. He's just gorgeous. And, and my mom said this. She said, Oscar... He doesn't, there, he has no odor to him at all. He smells wonderful. And I'm like, oh, come on now. You know, like every dog's got a dog smell, you know. And, but mom's like, Oscar, she's, she's like, mom has become a dog lover, right? She loves Oscar. She loves Opie. She loves Beatrice. And, and you know, a lot of times we, we're, we're, why did I start telling this story in the first place? Like, <laughs> I got way too detailed on it. <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We, we, we got some stinky stuff in our lives. But God, it's not a problem to God. He's not, he's not like, oh, you're going to make me dirty. He knows how to wash us and cleanse us and, and work all that stinky stuff out. I totally believe that. I do not buy into the fact that you have to stay as messed up as you were when you first came to Jesus. But at the same time, I am deeply convicted by this. No matter how much he cleans me up, I never got in here in the first place based on how clean I was. I got in here based on how good he was, right? And that is what worship is based upon. May we never forget. It's not like now I only worship when I'm having a good week and I'm behaving. 
I worship when I'm having bad weeks, when I'm having good weeks, when I'm having great weeks, when I'm having awful weeks. Because my worship is not about me. It's about him. Hallelujah. Stand with me right now. It's about how good he is. It's about remembering he is still my only hope. His invitation came when I didn't deserve nothing. And he hasn't kicked me out because I don't deserve it now. I'm still invited. As a matter of fact, the story that we looked at last week of the king who threw the feast and invited folks and they didn't show up. And then he invited messed up people and they showed up and there was still room. And he said, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. That story goes into a little more detail we didn't get into, and I'm going to close with this. There was a man found at that feast. He came to the feast, but he didn't have a wedding garment on. And the king said, how, how come you don't have a wedding garment? He said, well, I, you know, I just, I just didn't want to put it on. And he said, you got to go. You got to get out. The only way to really get kicked out the house to me, that wedding garment represents the mentality that I don't deserve to be here. I didn't bring my own garment of righteousness to be in this house, but he gave me a garment of righteousness. The only way to, to not be welcome in the house is when you're like Simon the Pharisee saying, oh, I deserve to be here. No, you can be a prostitute. And he says, here's an invitation and here's a garment. Now, come on in. I want to show you some stuff. That kind of, that, that kind of attitude cuts to the heart of who we are. And that's where worship originates in the heart. The Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. Can you lift your hands to him right now? I'm telling you right now, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right this very moment, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. Let's say to and fro throughout this building, looking for those whose heart is perfect towards him, whose heart is seeking him, whose heart has a realistic view of him and is self-aware understands i don't belong here but i want to say yes